Today on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 3, Chuck versus the Frosted Tips. That's right. The Frosted Tips were not stylish when this episode was filmed in 2011, <laughs> and they are still not stylish now. But they might be coming back. I don't think they are. listening to go check yourself that's right my name is chris gillespie i do not have frosted tips my name is erin arada i don't have frosted tips yet i i really don't think i think they would have come back in style by now right they would have come around like they were based off of the there's a wikipedia page for frosted tips okay mm-hmm. And according to Wikipedia, quote, frosted tips were prominent throughout the late 1990s and early 2000s. Okay, so here's my thought on it. Mm -hmm. We are currently solidly in the 90s renaissance. Um, So it is possible that within the next two to five years, we will hit a 2000s renaissance. I've already kind of seen it happening. I don't know if frosted tips and like the ramen noodle hair will be part of it, Uh but I have seen like, platform sandals and like the um really like low rise jeans where you can like see hips bones and stuff um i've seen clear backpacks which was kind of 90s late late 90s early 2000s so it could happen also bucket hats i've seen uh bucket I, ha- hats I own coming a bucket hat in. i could go put it on right now if you want it's like it's two inches away from me right now i am all set i will take your word for it uh <laughs> We are here discussing Chuck versus the Frosted Tips. Also something, so there's a Frosted Tips Wikipedia page, but what I'm fascinated by is that Wikipedia has a whole subset of Wikipedia pages. Like when you go to the bottom of a page and it shows you like the connected pages or whatnot, there's a whole subset of similar pages that is just called human hair. And every haircut you can imagine has its own Wikipedia page. There's hairstyles there's facial hairstyles there's uh hair subtraction hair care techniques related topics there's so much to do with different hairstyles Aaron, name a hairstyle and i will guarantee you that there's a wikipedia page for it well okay the one that i'm gonna name is the flat top because i recently <laughs> saw stargate um, and i looked up the flat top on wikipedia so it is indeed I, there. Yeah. It's well, we've established on maybe several past episodes that you are a patron of Wikipedia. So I'm very happy you're getting your money's worth. You got to give. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so want to start off the episode today with something that it brings me s- such joy. I think it might actually be one of my favorite parts of doing this show is getting to say that Aaron is wrong about something. <laughs> I was I became I became aware of this earlier today before we started recording that Aaron was indeed wrong about something that she would probably have to bring up on air. And I got this kind of like little twinkle in my eye and like a little butterfly feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh, it's going to be one of these introductions. So, uh, Aaron, how did you wrong our listeners and what are you going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? All right. Well, last week I did announce that as discussed Season five, episode two is my favorite episode of Chuck ever. Um, And I did say that season five, episode three is my least favorite episode ever. When in fact, 
I really liked this episode. I was confusing it with an episode that comes later in the season, but I will uh, go out on a limb and say that maybe I will be wrong about that one too. I really can't trust myself at all. Um, as soon as I started watching this episode, I, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Frosted Tips, but I think this episode is pretty good. Um, I'll leave my, my ranking until the end, but I was, I was kind of a fan, so I'm gonna say I was wrong. This is not my least favorite episode of Chuck by far, and in fact, it may be one of my favorite episodes of season five. Um, at least it's, it definitely is so far, um, but will it has yet to be seen. Um how the whole season will shake out, but I was wrong. I, Chris wasn't, Chris wasn't really right. Like you didn't really, you didn't contradict me in any way. That would have been weird. Um, but I was wrong. It's not what it's about though. That's not, yeah. I don't have to be right for you to be wrong. That's true. I think yeah. You can just be wrong and it's just as special on its own. Uh, I do think you said last week in no uncertain terms that you quote, have a frame by frame memory <laughs> of this episode and that you were quote, not looking forward to it. <laughs> I did. I really, I really dug that grave there. Um, I didn't have a frame by frame memory of this episode. And I, I don't think I have a frame by frame memory of the episode that I thought it was either. So um, I was wrong. I'm, I'm sorry to all of our listeners. Um, I owe you all an apology. So now, continuing in this vein of Aaron being wrong, we're going to move into a, uh, a, a email that we received, the old letter bag. Oh no, did someone call me out? And so, <laughs> uh, our friend of the show, Jeff S., uh, who's written in before, does a lot of cool Chuck stuff, big fan of the show. Uh, he likes listening to our podcast. He wrote in a few days ago, so I just wanted to share what he wrote. And he doesn't overtly call Aaron out, but Aaron will realize when... She is wrong <laughs> as I'm reading this. So we'll, we'll touch base with Aaron after I finish reading the letter. Uh, hi, Aaron and Chris. I listened to your new podcast and it's great to have you back. I thought I'd give you a piece of information that might be interesting to Aaron since she is somewhere in the Los Angeles area. I was just out there in August doing a Chuck filming location tour with a friend of mine that I mean, this is this is Chris talking. That sounds awesome. Yeah, um, that does sound awesome. Jeff and his friend, they're both Chuck fanatics. Jeff says, we went to the little white house with the white pig fence and the red door. That's the one that Sarah's dream house that we're introduced yeah, uh -huh. to in the season premiere. Jeff says that it is not on the Warner Brothers lot, but it is in a neighborhood close by. He then gives the, uh, the address, which is on uh, Warner Boulevard in Burbank. And he sent a picture of seeing that house in person. And then Jeff says, Aaron, you should take the Warner Brothers studio tour if you have a chance. It is very good, and unlike the Universal Tour, they will customize it for you based on the shows you're interested in. Oh! We got a private tour when we were told one of the workers in the museum that we didn't see enough Chuck sites, so we went on our own tour to see as much as possible. It was great fun, and I highly recommend it. I also threw in a picture of the balcony where Chuck almost proposed. So thank you for sending those in, Jeff. We see the house and the balcony. It seemed like they would be in very two different parts of the world, but here they are together <laughs> in Los Angeles. So, Aaron, if you had to identify what you were mistaken about in that email, what would that be and why? Is it that I said it was on the Warner Brothers studio lot? Correct. I said that was obviously, um, <laughs> obviously a set. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I, I am a big person and I can admit when I was wrong. <laughs> and I was, I was wrong once again. But 
you can see my confusion that it was on Warner Boulevard and it is near to the studios. I was probably looking at Google Maps and I said, ah, there are the studios. Mm -hmm. It's there. Um, But I uh, am very excited to learn this. I assumed that the Warner Brothers studio tour would be like the Universal studio tour. I did not know that it could be tailored and I am very excited to learn that. Um, I would ideally wait for you to come visit so that we could do it together. And maybe Thank that you. is something we will do um, for, for our season finale, series finale. Um, it could, it could happen, but uh, if you uh, are too slow, maybe I'll just go ahead and do it myself. Cause that sounds really fun. You would be dead to me if you took a Chuck <laughs> studio tour without me. <laughs> I would be so upset. Okay. Uh, All right. Yes, well, that I'll would, keep that, that in mind too. Delightful to do. Um, thank you for writing in, Jeff. And thank you, Jeff. Now that Aaron's confidence should be thoroughly reduced. <laughs> Taken down a peg. I've I've gotten <laughs> pantsed, if you will. <laughs> Ooh, good, good tie-in to this episode. Wow. <laughs> Why don't you introduce us to this episode, Aaron, so we can understand that reference? Right. So we open on Casey, who seems to be on some sort of intercept mission. Not to be confused with an intersect mission, because that comes later. Sarah is helping Casey out on comms. As Casey tracks down the target and prepares to intercept, not intersect them, we learn that the target is none other than Gertrude Verbanski, and the mission, it seems, is getting a little kiss. So despite the fact that Casey assures Sarah that he is ready, to be specific, he says, readiness like life begins at the point of conception. He chokes when he comes face to face with Gertrude and fails to ask her out. Instead, he puts a video camera bug slash tracer on her and back in the van, Sarah tells him, weird move. Meanwhile, Chuck and Morgan are waiting in their own parking garage to meet with a contact. Morgan is playing words with friends, which really brought me back to uh, 2011 and generally acting like a bored teenager, which makes it appropriate when Chuck tells Morgan he's starting to act like, quote, seventh grade Morgan. Morgan doesn't take this too well and is just generally moody, asking Chuck how long they'll be there since he has a hot date. We as viewers also have a hot date because it turns out the person Chuck is meeting is Diane Beckman. She's back, man. Oh, yeah. She contacted Carmichael Industries for some sort of top secret government mission to take down Matt Zorn, who is basically just Edward Snowden. Morgan stays in the car as Chuck gets the mission, but he does yell out the window about Beckman's tight core and calls her Becky, which is very disrespectful, but I did like. Later on, Chuck drops off Morgan at the Bymore and heads home where he finds Alex. I was excited to see her. Uh, Apparently, Morgan's hot date was not with her which leads Chuck to feel nervous and Alex to think Morgan is cheating. Chuck tries to reassure her, but it doesn't really seem to help. Inside his and Sarah's apartment, Casey is watching the feed on Gertrude's camera bug. Chuck sees this and also comments on it being a weird move, which was very gratifying. But because of this weird move, our heroes have a front row view of Gertrude meeting with Morgan and they hear him accept her job offer. Apparently he didn't do that in the last episode. He was he was thinking it over. The next morning, Sarah offers Chuck moral support over this betrayal. Chuck says he isn't hurt, he's angry. At this point, he thinks Morgan's just turned into a massive dick, not that anything is wrong with his brain. Sarah seems a little more dubious and thinks that maybe something is wrong, but she's not sure what. At this point, we finally get some answers on that whole paternity leave situation that we were wondering about last episode. Sort of. We sort of get some answers. Uh, apparently Devin is taking over for Ellie so that she can return to work and he's going to take off work to do some childcare responsibility stuff. 
So that's nice. I like that they're kind of sharing the load, doing a more or I guess less traditional co-parenting situation. I thought that was nice. Devin is excited for some baby Clara time, and there's a cute montage of them spending the day together, ending with a zinger that it's only been 45 minutes. Oh no, how will they spend the rest of the day? Meanwhile, Morgan drives, well, something into the Bymore. Do you, they, they say what this is called um, at some point. Do you, did you write it down? I did not write it down. It's some kind of crazy, like uh tricycle car yeah. thing it's called it's it's a mono something like mono wheel or some sort of thing like that i didn't write it down i didn't care enough but it's it's a crazy techie car something that you don't see often on the roads yeah. uh if ever i it's unclear if he bought that or if it's a verbansky core um purchase uh fancy uh tool something i don't know but he, he drives it directly into the Bymore and emerges in a flashy suit. He's wearing lifted shoes and he has the eponymous frosted tips. I knew it was coming and still when I saw him, I started screaming, no, 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 no. But something that made me say yes, 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 is that we see friend of the show, Jesse Hyman, when Morgan tosses the keys to Fernando and says, don't scuff it, all right, Cabbage Patch? That was cute. So his vehicle here is called a mono tracer. Mono tracer. Yeah, uh, which is a two-wheeled encased ride, which according to this random thing that could be completely wrong on IMDb, uh, would have cost $80,000 for a basic model or over $100,000 for a deluxe model. So glad the, uh, the truck budget was spent um, on useful things. There are actually a lot of great lines in this episode. In addition to the Cabbage Patch line, uh, Chuck tells Morgan, you smell like the Glendale Galleria. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you familiar with the Glendale Galleria, Chris? No. Is that a real place? It is a real place. Oh. Um, It's in Glendale, as you might Uh imagine. Um, The Glendale Galleria is sort of a normal mall. It's like what you would. It's not like one of these outdoor uh, Uh California malls. It's like a normal mall. Okay. Uh, Billie Eilish filmed one of her recent music videos inside there during the pandemic. Um, and it is directly beside the Americana, um, which is like a fancy outdoor um, California mall. And there's a little bit of contention between them because they're they're so close to each other and they have such completely different vibes that I feel like it's kind of a polarizing thing here in Los Angeles if you're a Galleria person or if you're an Americana person. So which do you identify as? Definitely Americana. Unfortunately, um, I, uh, I love I love more classic malls. They make me feel very nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Americana has apartment complexes in it. Um, and I have uh, a, a great dream of living one day in the Americana um, above the Cheesecake Factory. So I, I have to stick with that. Well, as one of my favorite podcast hosts says, anything is possible. So maybe one day you two can live above a mall and a Thank cheesecake you. factory. Yeah. So when we um, when we were talking about my dream house a couple episodes ago, I was actually describing um, the the Americana oh. brand apartments. I know oh. I said house, but it was that. So what do we think? Talking about the frosted tips. Yeah. Do we think that they were? Because as I had said at the opening of the episode, they weren't really in style at this point when mm-hmm. Chuck was filming. So does that mean that they're trying to make like Morgan thinks they're cool, but they're not actually cool? 
like he's already out of date but he does like because i guess i'm just trying to like figure out what exactly the show is trying to say with the use of the frosted tips i would say that like morgan's whole thing is that he's kind of like a man child so i Mm. feel like he is he just kind of retained that frosted tips were quote unquote cool um when he was like in that that period which he never really progressed past so say he was like 13 years old Mm -hmm. in 96 and that was when frosted tips were around so now that he is trying to be cool he's doing things that are not cool in 2011 but maybe would have been cool when he was younger and he just thinks they're still cool okay that's that's my interpretation that's your analysis of why morgan got frosted tips yep all right it's also just kind of funny right i think they're kind of being uh made fun of and it's kind of like a shorthand way to signal to the viewer that morgan is a tool now yeah not that anyone who has maybe there's people who aren't tools that have frosted tips but i think that they kind of get the uh reputation for for being on uh tooly guys yeah and i think when you um when you refer to them as frosted tips i feel like that's because you can if if he didn't call him frosted tips it would be different I mean, it would still be, it would still look the same, but I feel like actually saying like, I want frosted tips is a, is a move. So Morgan takes this opportunity to give Chuck his backdated three weeks notice, presumably for both Bymore and Carmichael Industries. He's all cocky. And when Sarah and Casey join in the conversation, Morgan even threatens Casey. This leads Casey to say enough and forbid Morgan from dating Alex. Morgan agrees with this pretty easily and texts Alex dumped. That's D-U-M-P apostrophe, lowercase d. Then he bounces. <laughs> did you read, did you pause it to read the full text message thread? No, I did not. I should have. Alex said, Morgan, I'd like to see you. Or she uh, said, she said, hey. And then he said, what? And then she said, I'd like to see you. And then he said, dumped. So <laughs> I really hope that every relationship I ever have, if it ends, ends that way. <laughs> I found this scene to be viscerally painful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't usually upsetting. have. I was like, oh, this. <laughs> to Alex. be fair, in my memory of um, the episode that I hate, this did uh, happen in it. Okay. So, this, um, yeah, that, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I was more of a fan of it than I thought that I was, but I, I saw you touch your phone. Are you texting someone dumped? Damn it, I was just going to do it to you. Oh, damn it. All right, well, you got to catch me off guard later, I guess. I guess so. I I can't get anything past you. (laughs) So later on, Casey and Alex talk it out about the breakup. Casey's a good dad and offers her some sage wisdom, which includes a little insight into how Casey's are afraid to let people in and be vulnerable, which must be why Casey's being so weird about Gertrude. Back at home, Devin is super bored, so he decides to go to the Buy More. I wish I could say more about that, but that's really the only thing that happens in that scene. It's a very, very quick little scene. Meanwhile, in Castle, Chuck and Sarah have another heart-to-heart about how Morgan went to the dark side. Sarah thinks Morgan doesn't have a dark side, but Chuck reminisces about how when Morgan grew his first mustache, he became kind of mean, until Meredith Lester pantsed him in gym class and exposed him for who he really was. So I want to ask you a question here, Chris. Do you think that means that, like, she exposed him for like that he's a nerd who gets pranked or does it mean that like she exposed his penis and he didn't have any hair on that so he's not actually as mature as his mustache implied 
I just interpreted it like he had like some kind of silly underpants or something. Okay. Like that. Mm-hmm. And he looked very vulnerable wearing All like right. tidy whities or something. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not really, it's not clarified what was exposed exactly. They do use the word expose. So uh, I have to assume that something was exposed. I like your read of it better. I think that, that although that is much more disturbing and probably <laughs> traumatizing for Morgan, I think that yeah. would be kind of um, have the, because they do refer to this moment time and time again throughout yeah. this episode as this big traumatic moment. So yeah. that would certainly be traumatic in yeah. a way that chuck is not usually so yeah i guess i will accept that interpretation of it do you think it's weird that they went with the last name lester considering they already have a character named lester but there's no like relationship i it did not dawn on me until you just said it right now and then i was like that's odd that they named her lester yeah because like there's a there's a lot of last names in the world right tons of last names i mean they could have named her after any 80s film character that's right or was it implied that, well, Lester is his first name. Yeah. So I was going to say maybe they were, like, related, but then that would be weird. Like, why would they be doing this kind of weird, <laughs> like, baby Looney Tunes yeah. version of middle school where all the characters <laughs> all right, are there? I want that reboot, actually. <laughs> where they're all in middle school regardless of age. Yeah. You know, middle school Casey and middle school Big Mike and... <laughs> Cute. <laughs> Um, so this, this inspires Chuck to conduct a plan, which is complete the Zorin mission better than Morgan to take him down a peg. Unfortunately, they discover that Morgan stole the zip drive Beckman gave them with all the information about Zorin and where he'll be. It seems that the pansy has become the pantser. So now Chuck, Sarah, and Casey have to take Morgan down. Gotta grab those little belt loops and pull those pants right on down. As Devin enters the Bymore, he doesn't see any of his friends or acquaintances working, so he decides to take a walk around. In Bymore's often forgotten automobile service center, Devin sees Jeff passed out underneath a running car, likely about to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, I guess it's very serious, but it's just kind of, uh, it's a little silly when it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's very much treated as a joke. The silly music is playing, so you know it's, it's okay. He leaves Clara with Lester and runs in to save Jeff. So, you know, that's how much of an emergency he thinks it is that he's leaving his baby with Lester. Once Jeff is safe, Devin lectures Jeff about the dangers of carbon monoxide. But Jeff is apparently chemically dependent on carbon monoxide. Concerned for Jeff's overall well-being and health, Devin invites Jeff to come in for a free physical sometime when he's home. He takes Clara and exits as Lester says, my biological clock is tick-tocking. Same. It's not it's not ticking, it's not talking, it is specifically tick-tocking. So as this is happening at the Bymore, Team Bardowski is breaking into Verbansky Corp. Sarah points out that they are willfully breaking and entering and that Verbansky could kill them all with impunity, but Chuck insists that they need to reclaim that mission from Beckman for their business's sake and that this is about more than just getting revenge on Morgan and Verbansky. Besides, Casey says that Verbansky is dead to him after she helped Morgan betray them. The team then takes out some of Verbansky's guards and steals their uniforms, which is all you really need to do to enter a high security facility like this. <laughs> yep. Chuck and Sarah head straight for a control room while Casey prowls the halls, eventually finding Verbansky's office. He walks around admiring the fact that he and Verbansky have similar interests, including fine cigars, Ronald Reagan and Casey's gun collection. <laughs> because he's so similar to Verbansky, he seems to know exactly how to uncover the safe and break into it. He's just about successful in this when Verbansky and Morgan begin to approach the office. Fortunately, they're slowed down because Morgan feels the need to berate his new personal assistant, Scotty, for putting soy milk in his latte 
instead of almond milk. I mean, it could potentially be a serious mistake, though, like if he's allergic to soy. Um, I think soy has some properties um, that I, especially around this time, people were a little dubious about. So, you know, maybe Scotty did fuck up. I would be I would probably actually have a hard time digesting either of those milks, but certainly <laughs> soy I would have a problem with. So please do not put any soy milk in any of my lattes. This is the last we see of Scotty. Uh, <laughs> Scotty, um, we one might say uh, Scotty didn't know. Oh, I thought you were going to say I don't know what he didn't know. Scotty's the new scooter. Scotty is maybe the new scooter. Um, Scotty beamed away. Beam beam away, Scotty. I, I'm i trying to make something work. Scotty is the new black? Right, Scotty went to Harvard. Scotty did go to Harvard, yes. It's, it's something that we find out. Casey grabs the flash drive from the vault and then hides in Verbanski's closet. As she and Morgan enter the office, Morgan has paged over the intercom and needs to leave. But Verbanski uh, seems to sense that there's a special someone hiding in her office and decides to stay. She almost immediately finds Casey's hiding spot and confronts him. But in a pretty flirty way, the two proceed to scuffle, but in a very romantic and very sexually charged manner. I was honestly um, getting a little flustered watching this. It'll come as no surprise to anyone. Um, but I thought it was it was good. Yeah. Outside there was Morgan. My, the, I'm sorry to interrupt. The Amazon no, no. subtitles did a couple times have moans. So that was that's how you know. There was they got they're really pushing the uh, TV 14 rating here because there was <laughs> there was one scene where Casey was like behind Verbanski and she was bending over. Yeah. And then they swapped positions and Casey was not comfortable with that. Nope. Which is I understandable. mean, that's, you know, you know he's a he's a masculine guy. He likes to be in control. Right. But it seems like she likes to be in control, too. So maybe they'll they'll do some switching up. It'll be fun <sighs> for them. It's getting hot in here. Yeah. Outside, Morgan is leading a combat course, which Chuck has to attend in order to maintain his cover. Fortunately, though, all the students have to wear face shields, so Morgan doesn't recognize Chuck. The way that the class works is that Morgan basically just picks a bunch of students and sees if they can take him in the intersect down, <laughs> yeah. which, of course, they can't. Uh, so he's being a real jerk about it and just kind of being uh, pretty obnoxious. Back in Verbanski's office, Casey and Verbanski continue their fight foreplay. Just as things seem like they're going to get pretty serious, Casey cuffs Verbanski to her display case and takes back his gun that she had on display. Back outside, Morgan has made quick work of all the other students, making Chuck the last one standing. Morgan goes after Chuck, but Chuck is able to defend himself, surprising Morgan. Chuck removes his face shield, revealing his true identity, and he and Morgan have a heated confrontation. Chuck tells Morgan that he's become a real jerk, but Morgan says that Chuck is just jealous that Morgan's better at having the intersect than he is. Chuck says that he is not going easy because they're friends, to which Morgan says, no, you're wrong. We are not friends. This breaks Chuck's heart. It breaks mine, too. That was sad. At this point, Casey and Sarah run out and tell Chuck that they need to leave. At that moment, Verbanski also comes over the intercom and tells Morgan that he needs to neutralize the invaders. Morgan doesn't want to hurt his former friends, but they aren't too concerned about that. Sarah opened fires on Morgan with a train gun, and then Morgan zooms and dodges the bullets in a way that is very original and has certainly never been done before in any other property. I guess Verbanski has already given Morgan some lessons on her time from previous jobs that she's had. <laughs> yeah. 
that's i mean that's crazy that that's in the intersect like i feel like the reason neo is able to do that is because he's like hacking not the pda but the matrix Mm -hmm. um but apparently the intersect just like teaches you how to do that so he would have had to move really fast really fast could have broken his neck that he was moving so fast could have given himself whiplash but he uh he dodges the train guards Morgan brags about how much he loves the intersect and Chuck sees this as an opening. He pants Morgan, confusing him just unlock the, the, the he pants Morgan, confusing him just long enough for Sarah to shoot Morgan in the ass with a tranquilizer, knocking him out. Later that day, T.M. Bartowski is going through the files on Beckman's flash drive, which they really should have just done this as soon as they received the flash drive from Beckman, because that would have saved them a lot of time and it wouldn't have mattered if Morgan stole it. Anyhow, they learn that Zorin, the bad guy, is going to be at a helipad because this is Chuck. And we are contractually obligated to have at least three scenes set on a helipad per season. Well, it wasn't a party. So that's at least uh, an improvement a little bit. Right. So if you're playing the Chuck Bingo at home, (laughs) make sure you check off helipad scene or helipad action sequence, I should say. Chuck and Casey are ready to roll out, but Sarah stops them because she wants them to talk about their feelings or some shit. (laughs) <laughs> Sarah says that Casey clearly has something going on with Verbansky, and Chuck is clearly in denial about how much trouble Morgan's in. Neither of them really listen to her because men don't have feelings. <laughs> men don't have feelings. Men are always right. Men are always right. I'm not joining you on that. Back at the Bymore, Devin is examining Jeff and asks him when the last time Jeff saw a doctor was. Neither of them remember, but I'm going to say probably during that episode a few seasons ago when the entire staff of the Bymore went to Devin's apartment for free <laughs> medical care. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, of course, is acting like a freak during the examination. So Devin gives him a free prescription. Stop sleeping in your van. At the actual hospital, Sarah is catching up with Ellie for some girl talk. Now, I respect the sanctity of girl talk. So out of respect for Sarah and Ellie, I muted this entire scene <laughs> because I think they deserve privacy. And I don't think they should be subjected to the male gaze and male intervention as this is happening. This conversation was not for my ears. That's fair. Um, I guess I I can't I, I I did listen to it, but I guess I can't tell our listeners because I don't know the gender makeup of them. So um, no one will know what happens in the scene, I guess. If I had to guess, this mm-hmm. is what my guess would be. Okay. I'd say that they were talking about a man because oh. that's what we talk about. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say that they were probably talking about Morgan. I'm going to say that Sarah wants Ellie's input on why Morgan could be acting so differently with the intersect than when Chuck had it and what they could do about it. Ellie would probably then say that Morgan's intersect is clearly altered from the normal intersect that Chuck had and that they might be able to appeal to Morgan's long-term memory in order to help him recapture some of his old self. That's just pure speculation on my part. I don't know if that's what they actually said. I'm not going to confirm or deny, um, but I, I could see how you would think that. Just based off of body language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sarah then calls Beckman for some more girl talk, which once again, I did not listen to <laughs> out of respect for their privacy as women. In my mind, what I imagined that they were talking about was Morgan having the intersect and Beckman was probably going to like reveal that she never sent Chuck any intergla- intersect sunglasses at the end of season four, which would mean that somebody else deliberately tried to give Chuck a malicious version of the intersect. But that's just my hunch as a man. That's a that's an interesting interpretation. I've heard someone I've heard people say that men are always right. So maybe by virtue of that being my idea and I am a man that maybe that is a right idea. 
So Sarah returns to Castle after her girl's day out and tells Chuck and Casey what she learned about Morgan's intersect. This is apparently the missing piece that Chuck needs to cut through his denial about Morgan's behavior. He realizes that although they need to stop Zorn, they also need to save Morgan. Conveniently, they suspect both Zorn and Morgan are going to be at the helipad. We cut to a commercial and when we return, we see Tim Bartowski dressed like an airplane crew walking along the roof of the Marriott Hotel. As one does. uh, Headed for the helipad. Chuck points out that Morgan should already be there since he had a head start, but he's nowhere to be found. As they discuss the possible reasons for this, a helicopter approaches and lands on the helipad. Morgan, Gertrude, and some guy show up, also dressed as a flight crew, apparently with the same plan, but plus a helicopter. Chuck says enough is enough and goes to talk to Morgan and appeal to him as a friend. Morgan isn't really having it, then Zorn arrives with his guards and thus begins a very tight, tense, complicated little scene, which includes a sexy Sarah showdown between Gertrude and Sarah, of course, and Casey fighting with some guy while Chuck tries to talk Morgan down. And okay, I do have to um, admit that I was wrong once again and take back what I said last week about Chuck being the chosen one. Um, Apparently there is some sort of Trojan horse hidden in the software Morgan downloaded. Presumably um, Decker was trying to fuck over Carmichael Industries and maybe even Chuck himself with all this brain melting, but he got Morgan instead. Still, this knowledge only goes so far since Morgan is still in the throes of his own dickishness. In all the commotion, Zorn gets in the helicopter, so Morgan takes out a very real, very big gun and shoots out the helicopter's gas tank, saying that he'll blow them all to smithereens. Our emotionally intelligent queen, Sarah, appeals to Morgan's long-term memory of Meredith Lester, and Chuck takes that and runs with it. He reminds Morgan of how they got back at Meredith for pantsing him, by shaving off Morgan's mustache and putting it in her ham sandwich. Mmm, delicious. Ugh. I know, it it gives me the shivers thinking about it too. Hearing this, Zorn tells the teams to take him to jail because they're crazy and he doesn't want to deal with it. Gertrude and Sarah agree to split the bounty, and a sort of redeemed Morgan immediately quits for Bansky Corps. Unfortunately, the helicopter gas that Morgan has spilled all over the roof catches on fire, and Casey and Chuck are forced to rescue Morgan and Gertrude from within the flames. Sarah just kind of stands there while this is happening. It would have been nice if she had something to do, but she doesn't. Like, save that other guy? (laughs) Yeah, no, nobody saves the other guy. That guy just dies in a fiery explosion. I'm sure. It's uh, very painful, very brutal, but no one cares. We didn't know who he was. Right as Chuck and Morgan and Casey and Gertrude get out of there, kaboom! One of those famous rooftop LA explosions. On the ground, uh, in Casey's arms, Gertrude says, I knew you were into me, John, and then they kiss. We pan over to Sarah and Chuck also furiously kissing, and I mean, it's, it's all romantic, it's pretty nice. Once everybody stops hacking the PDA, Morgan thanks Chuck for pantsing him. Later on, Casey decides which guns to take on his first date with Gertrude, and uh, I have to say I actually really like that B-plot. I love Casey's nervousness. I think it's very endearing. Meanwhile, Chuck shows Sarah their uh, first government paycheck, and things start looking good for old Carmichael Industries. Also, back in the Bymore, we learn that Jeff is normal again, or I guess not really again. He, He is just normal now. This normalness includes him not saying contractions like data on Star Trek. He always just says I am or cannot instead of am instead of I'm and can't. He he just doesn't say those anymore. And he refuses to tase Fernando's testicles for 20 bucks. 
Recovering from his brush with death and mind-meltingness, Morgan has another heart-to-heart with Devin. Devin talks about his struggles being a stay-at-home dad over the past couple of days and says, don't confuse a job with your life. I, I feel like this is supposed to be a nice moment, but I kind of don't understand what Devin is saying. Does he mean that being a stay-at-home dad is the job that he is potentially confusing with his life or that being a doctor was the job that he was confusing with his life as a family man, as a parent? You think it's that? I think it's the second one. I think okay. that he his identity was so wrapped up in his career that he mm-hmm. didn't really have an identity beyond his career. Uh-huh. And he's telling, he's instructing people not to do that. Okay. Um, I like that interpretation better, but I don't think it's entirely backed up by just the the line that he says. Either way, though, Morgan feels pepped up about it and goes to apologize to Casey, not for uh, fucking over their team or for all of the mean things he said to Casey specifically, but for what he did to Alex. Um, again, not really sure why he's apologizing to Casey for what he did to Alex and not to Alex for what he did to Alex, but maybe that's coming later. Even though Casey is semi-receptive to this, he still finds this a little weird and kicks Morgan out of the apartment, which apparently Morgan has been living in this whole time. I, I don't know if he was still in there while he had his frosted tips. I don't really know what was going on. <laughs> but uh, he heads over to Chuck and Sarah's and they invite him to stay with them. At this point, Beckman texts Chuck and they learn that there is a kill order out for Morgan. She says that she can't do anything to stop it because it goes way above her head and implies that Decker is responsible. So it's kind of unclear um, if Decker is above Beckman in the CIA food chain or not. There will be some conflicting information on that coming in a later episode, so I don't really know what's going on. But the gist of it is that they're trying to assassinate Morgan and Beckman can't help. Chuck calls Morgan, but Morgan's in the shower and doesn't answer the call. He also doesn't call Chuck back, apparently, even when he's out of the shower, so he doesn't realize that someone has put a car bomb under his car. I don't know where he's supposed to be going in this scene, because he didn't really announce, like, oh, I'm going out. He's just, like, took mm-hmm. a shower and is on on the move. He heads out to get in the car, and cliffhanger! We don't know what's gonna happen. But there's a bomb, and Morgan's heading right for it. I thought it was partially implied that he was headed to, like, try to find Alex or something to okay, apologize. Would, I mean, that would make sense. We will find out in a future episode that he has no way of apparently contacting Alex. So no. maybe that maybe he was just going to, like, get takeout or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame him. He's had a stressful day. He doesn't want to yeah, cook. Could go. Yeah, exactly. So a few things that I thought of as you were running us through the final moments of that episode of Chuck. We see uh, Chuck smiles in a certain scene and that has become a it's a gif that i see a lot of times on social media of when you look up chuck gifs there's one of zachary there's, levi there's smiling smile? what what is he smiling from at this episode he's just smiling at like morgan or sarah or that okay. like morgan's back to normal well that's nice good for uh, you don't, didn't recognize that gift that's okay I didn't. i'm sorry i'm not as up to date on chuck gifts i guess the Next note that I had, which I don't really remember why I wrote it down, but maybe you can help me interpret it. <laughs> okay. But it says, quote, Beckman calls Chuck to meet up. Then there's a M dash. And then I wrote, is he DTF? Question mark. <laughs> Do you need help interpreting what DTF means? <laughs> no, I know why I wrote that down. I mean, do you think like, did you just interpret the text? Like she just says, like, meet me at Castle or like whatever. And you were just like, and it's a late night text. Right, so maybe so she was like... it's kind of like she's saying, like, you up. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, thank you I'd love Beckman me. to send me a you up text, to be honest. <sighs> she got that nice, tight little core. 
Yeah, it, it's useful. And then the, the third thing would be that if this goes, uh, Morgan's kill order goes above Beckman. Yeah. We're not really sure where Decker falls in this because it's not really yet, muddled. No. Yeah. But we do know one person who certainly would have been ahead of Beckman on top of the government food chain at this time, and that would have been President Barack Obama. <laughs> so do you think that Barack Obama placed the kill order on Morgan Grimes? Yeah, I do, actually. That seems like something he would do. Can you uh, can you maybe tell us what that would sound like? My fellow Americans, uh, there's a grave threat out in Los Angeles, California, and it is my job as the president of this country to make sure that we address those threats. So for that reason, much like I oversaw the uh, elimination of uh, Osama bin Laden, our team is also working on eliminating the threat that is Morgan Grimes. He will be taken out swiftly. And I think that this is in the interest of the American people that his bearded little face and his frosted tips uh, cease to exist and are dumped into the Pacific Ocean and do not receive any kind of proper burial because he is a enemy of the state. I don't I don't know if that was that was a full Barack there by the end, but it was it was a very nice little speech. I was starting to lose the thread by the end, but I was channeling for a little bit. Yeah. Yes. So Chuck versus the Frosted Tips. Not Aaron's least favorite episode. Not at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. Although I think I guess now would probably be a good time to mention that the last week's episode was also not your favorite episode either. What? But that was that was more so convincing joke. that I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was I just loved a bit. Episode. We like having fun here. Go check yourself. We play around sometimes. Well, speaking of playing around. Speaking of playing around, that's right. We have uh, one little game segment. I don't really know if it's a game or what exactly this qualifies as. Sure, fine. Anything can be a game if you try hard enough. Uh, it's called Chuck, Mary Kill. And it's when we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry because we liked it. And one part of this episode that we'd like to kill because we, well, did not like it. We put a kill order on it, kind of like, like Morgan, Barack Obama. Like Barack Obama put on Morgan. So, Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? I was a big fan of the Casey and Gertrude situation. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that it was generally pretty adorable. We have, of course, in past seasons, seen a more romantic side to Casey with both Kathleen and um, who, who else did he sleep with? Was it, there was somebody else, right? There, there was some romance with a guest star. Oh, there was um, no, maybe maybe that's someone else. Um, I don't know. He's well, he's had flirtations before. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this one has a very nice, um, a, like, it just has, it's just kind of wholesome. It feels very sweet that they're just, mm -hmm. like, evenly matched. And while, like, I definitely thought going into this show that there would be, like, uh, a reconciling with Alex's mother, I actually feel like in a fairly, like, unrealistic show, this is kind of realistic that, like, Alex's mom's just moved on and that's fine. And we don't have to like sit there and have Casey pine after her and then eventually get the girl. Like we have this person who admittedly came out of nowhere, but it's, it's so, um, it's so well done that I don't really mind that. Um, I love that they're kind of like evenly matched with their like love of cigars and love of guns and love of Reagan um, I think that it leads to some funny jokes, and I thought that there was, they had some genuine chemistry in the, um, 
sexy Gertrude showdown there in her office. So I was I was a fan. And I was very um I I like how sweet it is. I like that they're both kind of awkward around each other. And I think having a um like unlike the the twenty something characters of Chuck and Sarah or Morgan and Alex, it is nice to see like these middle aged people find love as well. Middle aged person, uh, Carrie Ann Moss, of course, uh, one of your contemporaries. My, one of my contemporaries, yes. A, a direct quote from Aaron. <laughs> that one, I'm not saying I was wrong about that. I still do feel that way. <laughs> it's very weird. It's very weird. Uh, my Mary was also that pretty much exact thing. So you kind of covered all the bases for it. I do think it's kind of like Adam Baldwin did a good job of showing a different side of Casey. Yeah. I thought it was well written. I think to your point about it being weirdly wholesome, like it's kind of this subverted thing where they're bonding over these kinds of not so wholesome things like yeah. guns and cigars, yeah. but it's like weirdly sweet because yeah. you know Casey. Yeah. So it is nice and they are evenly matched. I also, I think to kind of add on to that, like I liked the, we saw another side of Casey when he was emotionally available as a father this week when he was trying mm-hmm. to com- comfort Alex. Yeah. Uh, even though he got his own daughter's last name wrong, because he said we Casey's, but Alex is not a Casey because I mean, John that, Casey's a true, yeah. fake name. Yeah. So she would either be a Coburn or she would be a uh, what was Kathleen's last name? Uh, McHugh, I don't know that. something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 something like that. I think I think that might be her last name. So he uh, got I mean, the, okay. his yep. daughter's last name wrong, but they like just met somewhat recently within the past few years. So it can take like, a while. To, it's, um, you know. I mean, again, Casey's a fake name, but like that, I feel like that's something like your maternal grandmother or like aunt or something could say to you, like, this is a standard family trait. And then like, you, it wouldn't be like insane of them to say that. How dare you reveal my mother's maiden name I'm, on I'm air? I'm so sorry. Everybody's All of my accounts are getting hacked now. They're hacking the PDAs <laughs> can, as we you speak. Can, uh, you can bleep that out as well. My PDAs are not safe. Uh, I No, I'm impressed. I guess there's no reason that you wouldn't know my mom's maiden name, but you just whipped it out so easily right there. <laughs> I guess I know yours as well, but I won't do it because I care about your cybersecurity. Thank cyber you. I appreciate security. that, yeah. <laughs> All right. So my kill, um, what I'm going to place a kill order on is... I mean, it's it's kind of complicated. I hate so much the idea of Morgan putting a uh, mustache inside of a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. I I guess if like we say that like she pantsed him, like if we go with the penis interpretation that like he was um new na- nakedified. What's what would be the he was made naked in front of his whole class and basically subjected to sexual harassment and or assault then um i guess all is fair fair play that they put something they put a some some hair in her sandwich but it's kind of uh just uh, viscerally upsetting as a as an image to me mm-hmm. um i guess i kind of like that it kind of comes full circle that like the issue was morgan's mustache and then they both like they kind of take that out in one fell swoop um but it was it's just gross and um i i wasn't a fan of the image so i don't know it's a it's a little kill i liked most things in this episode shockingly so that's that's mine my kill is actually weirdly related to that okay um we're led to believe that the intersect is having this massive effect on morgan's brain so uh-huh. 
I thought it was a little strange that they were so easily able to grab a hold of Morgan's normal personality. Yeah. And that he could get control of the intersect after just like recapping one story to him. It would have been interesting if they had to work more to lessen the grasp of the intersect on Morgan. I, I felt like fair. it was a little too easy and unheard of a resolution this week. Uh, I felt like it could have been more, you know, I guess like, I don't know, it would just be really interesting if they do something with like the intersect being in someone surprising's brain. And then, like, that person losing their memory completely as a result of having the intersect in their brain. I just think that would be, like, an interesting touch for them to have this season. All right. Well, uh, yeah, but it's it's a shame because it, it seems like Morgan's on his way to being recovered totally. Right. So probably that won't happen and we'll never get to know. No, and there's certainly no one else, like, in the immediate cast, like, the central crew of people who would, like, ever accidentally get the intersect. So I'm sure that definitely won't happen. I mean, it would be pretty interesting, actually, if, like, Casey got it. I feel like that's something that I could see happening. Hmm. Yes. Casey and only Casey. No one else could potentially lose I mean, even even maybe Devin. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because only men can have the intersect. We've never seen a female character with an intersect, except for the Greta. I think the Greta Mm -hmm. had the intersect. She did, yeah. But that's the only one. Right. Uh, now we're moving on to the scooter scale. We're going to, or maybe it's called the Scotty scale this time. We can call How it many, the Scotty scale this time. Out of How respect for Scotty. soy lattes? <laughs> yes, exactly. Soy lattes are the unit of measurement this week. Aaron, how many of those uh, soy lattes would you like to deliver? And keep in mind, you do have to deliver them on one of those cardboard or like whatever those little trays are that you put. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. Not cardboard, but some kind of paper product. I'm going to give this uh, 4.5. Wow. Uh, Scotty, Scotty lattes. Scotty um, likey. Scotty likey. <laughs> I hated that. Um, <laughs> I thought this episode was really fun. And again, I was wrong. Um, but I, um, with what you said last week in mind, like I do think uh, Joshua Gomez really kind of pulls off this uh, performance. And I think seeing a darker side of morgan which is legitimately dark and is not just like upsetting because it's like offensive um was kind of cool i loved the casey and gertrude romance as i've already said and i think that the b plot with uh jeff becoming smart is like pretty funny there's some questionable medical advice hidden within that um but i thought most elements of this episode really worked for me in a way that um, the previous couple episodes of season five have been like a little more iffy. So it was nice to have widely, largely positive feelings about this one and not have a lot of things that bothered me. I think I'm going to knock a few things like I do agree that um, it was a little easy to get Morgan back to normal. Um I was a little bit confused about Devin's lesson. And while like I do like where it led with Jeff, um, I thought like it's a little tired to have the like I'm sure it's something that new parents on maternity or paternity leave deal with. But like the the boredom and like the um, the montage was cute, but I feel like that's a little tired. Um, So it's it's not a perfect five soy lattes for me, but it was pretty darn close. We heard about Decker, but we didn't have to like fucking deal with him this episode. So I liked mm. that. What about you? I would give this episode three soy lattes. Okay. I felt like this was just an okay episode for me. Right. It's kind of middle of the road. 
I would have liked there to be a little bit more drama surrounding the battle for Morgan's uh, soul, I guess, because I don't really think the episode explored the emotional depths that Chuck was really feeling about potentially losing Morgan. Yep. Especially because Chuck was in denial most of the time. I don't think there's anything like I do like the stuff with Jeff becoming normal was funny and interesting. Uh, I really I really enjoyed the Casey and Verbansky subplot and their chemistry. Morgan was pretty annoying in this episode, but I guess kind of in a fun way, but yeah. mostly just like regular annoying. So I know that was a deliberate choice. So I think they did a good job of making him kind of unlikable this week but without making him totally unredeemable. So I think they executed it well. And I think it was just, uh, yeah, it was just like a okay episode for me. Fair enough. It's all right. So now we'll move on to the lesson of the week. We share something that we learned through this episode of Chuck could be in, could be something big, could be something little, could be something meaningful, could be something uh, transformative, perhaps. Aaron, what did you learn this week? Um, well, mine is mine is more of a technical, scientific lesson. Okay, sure. Um, medical, if you will, uh-huh. that you can make an a hundred percent recovery from long term carbon monoxide poisoning by just removing yourself from the carbon monoxide. Correct. And then you'll be. Perfect. Even better than you were before, maybe. Great. Really, yeah. There's no long-term effects because you would think there would be that like brain damage was permanent, but it's not. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, the brain works in a lot of... Um... The mind is a mysterious beast. Well, it's very elastic in a lot of ways. That's, yes, that's true. Speaking of the brain, this week I learned that in the near future when TikTok has completely destroyed Aaron's brain <laughs> and she leaves me to go start a new podcast with her new Gen Z friends... I will be able to appeal to her old self using stories of our shared past and by reminding her that she's not a cool hit member of Gen Z. She's a regular, boring old millennial. But that's okay because the millennial Aaron is my friend and I'd rather be friends with a millennial Aaron who is often wrong than friends with a Gen Z Aaron who is always right. That was uh, both nice and mean, and I will take it. Great. (laughs) This, uh... It's been a really interesting episode. I think that there's only really one way to end this particular episode. And that is with the text message that I just sent you. I I got it. It is D-U-M-P apostrophe lowercase d. Dumped. You've been dumped, Aaron. This episode has been dumped. We are done for this week. We will be back uh, next week. We'll be talking about Chuck versus the business trip. Going on a trip. And uh, hopefully Aaron will be more right next week, but I guess we'll find out. I don't think she certainly can't get any more wrong. So here's hoping. My name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. My name is Erin Arada reminding you that anything is possible. Like moving to the uh, apartments above the Cheesecake Factory at your that's, local. That's true. Yeah. The what was it called? The Americana. The Americana at Brand. OK, I was pretty I was pretty yeah, close. You were close. And I mean, Americano one, is a is a type of coffee. So well, I got the the soy lattes on yeah, my mind. Yeah, so. that makes sense. And then the other one that smells like Ed Hardy is Glendale Galleria. Glendale, okay. I guess that's how that episode ends. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at FreeMusicArchive.org for providing us with our theme song "Warm Up." If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. 
New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.